And the sun is shining. Isn't that wonderful? So very nice. My name is Graham, uh, and it's good to be together this morning as we, uh, as we worship together and as we open up scripture together and, uh, and hear from God's word this morning. This is the fifth Sunday of Lent. Did you know that? How many knew it was the fifth Sunday of Lent? A couple of keen people. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, Lent is traditionally a season where we give up something. Um, chocolate seems to be a very common thing. Um, I had a, had a gentleman at uh, another church tell me one time that um, he was giving up Lent for Lent. <laughs> not quite sure if he was kidding or if he was serious, but... Um, uh, but Lent is not a recent invention. Uh, Lent is the season before Easter time, uh, and it's been around for a long time. But it's that period of time between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday. And that adds up to 40 days. If you exclude the Sundays in there, that adds up to 40 days. And it's been around for a long time. Irenaeus, um, back in the 2nd century, long time ago, um, who was an early church father, an apologist in the early church, uh, he starts to mention... Uh, a, a tradition amongst Christians back then, a pre-Easter tradition of fasting. And uh, it seems like it was, that fasting was connected to the pre-Easter baptismal um, tradition and ritual in the early church where they did, they've had a focus on baptisms right before Easter. And so this, this pre-Easter fasting was something that was around from about 180 on. And then in, if you know your church history, you know that the, there was a big council that met in 320 AD, the Council of Nicaea, and they began to... Um, to sort of solidify this 40 days of fasting. They firmed it up. Uh, and the, the early church rules were that you got, you got, during Lent, you got one meal a day. So who had breakfast this morning? <laughs> That's it, you're done. Um, no more uh, until tomorrow morning. Um, and in the early church, there was no meat or no eggs. In fact, the Eastern Orthodox Church continues that tradition um, to this day. Um, as as uh, church history went on, um, the purposes of Lent really solidified around focusing on self-denial, um, hence the one meal a day, um, or the lack of chocolate for some of us, um, growth in one's personal faith, sober pe uh, penitence, a really stepping back and, and a focus on simplicity, to focus on spiritual things for the 40 days leading up to Easter. Uh, Lent literally means springtime. That, that's literally what it means. So, I was really hoping and praying that there wouldn't be a snowstorm this morning because that would really put a dent in my, my visual imagery there. But, but Lent means springtime. Um, and it, it, it can see, be seen in some ways as a, as a spiritual spring cleaning. How many of you have done your spring cleaning yet? Anyone? Two people and one person going, I don't know. Um, but it... it I mean, springtime is that time typically where we, you know, open the garage and try and move things out, and, uh, and, and, and Lent is the, is the spiritual equivalent, where we step back in our lives and, and take stock of what we have, where, you know, our interior life, and, and, um, and try and reflect on things and, and clear out those things in our, in our, in our lives that seem to hinder um, our, our relationship with God or our corporate relationships with one another. It's, um, it's, it's a spiritual spring cleaning in many ways. And so on this fifth Sunday of Lent, uh, I want us to do some spiritual spring cleaning this morning. 
Uh, and I have to let you know, I feel compelled to let you know that um, I'm, uh, this is a difficult thing for me to do. I'm, I'm, I'm not actually enjoying this, to be honest with you. Let me explain what I mean by that. Um, th- this, is, this seems to be difficult for me, and I, and I felt like I needed to share this at the beginning with you because there's some, th- there's some dissonance within me to, to, to preach on the topic that I'm preaching on this morning. Uh, and I, I'm going to tell you th- what that topic is in a moment. But, but this whole in, this internal dissonance, I wanted to give you a, a, a picture of that. Now, now, if you were here last Sunday, um, Lincoln stood right about here, as I recall, and wowed me with his football knowledge. Um, it was something to behold, let me tell you. Um, that I mean, Lincoln's a man of many hidden talents, but um, the man can... He knows his football, or, or, or Google searching, I'm not sure which, but, um, but it was amazing. Anyway, um, but I'm, I'm not going to bring Lincoln back up here to talk more football, um, <laughs> but I'm going to put Lincoln where he's probably way more comfortable, which is at the piano, um, to talk football. No, I'm just kidding. Just Sit, <laughs> sit down at the piano for a second, Lincoln. Um, I, I want to give you a, a, it's not a visual, it's an auditory picture of that dissonance that I, that I feel this morning. Um, like you with football, my musical knowledge is rather limited, so I'm going to use technical musical terms here. Um, and now, I understand there's something called a chord. Is that correct? So far, so good. So, far, so, good. Um, so here's my technical term. Can you play me a good chord? <laughs> it's, a techni- it's a highly technical term. That's, that's a good chord. Lincoln. It's like we practiced this. Um, that's really good. Um, play me a bad chord. Yeah, that's a bad chord. Play the good one again. Or another good one. And the bad one. Okay. Do you see the difference for those of us who are musically inclined? One one is dissonant, like it just, it, it doesn't work. Like even though I'm not musical and can't put the words to it, I'm like, yeah, that, that's bad, that, that, that doesn't work. Um, and in a sense, that's, that's kind of, in bringing the topic to you this morning, that's kind of how I feel internally because um, what I'm talking to you about this morning um, is not something that I have figured out and solved, it's something that I'm in the process of uh, trying to figure out and solve. And so, uh, I, there's a dissonance in me that I felt this week saying, oh, you can't preach on that because it's, you haven't got it figured out. And so there was this dissonance within me that felt like, or that, yeah. But in all seriousness, um, the beauty of things is that God can take our dissonance and when we, thank you, <laughs> and when we live authentically, God can take our dissonance in our lives and make something beautiful out of it. Um, and I know many of you have experienced that. And so, so my prayer, thanks so much, Lincoln. Um, uh, by the way, Lincoln and I both have our um, Lent purple on this morning. Anyone else wearing their Lent purple? Um, there's a few people going, wow, I can't believe I actually made, made that connection. Um, I, my heart, my desire this morning is for us to, to take a topic um, that there's some dissonance within me on, and probably quite a few of you, and, and to allow God to bring something beautiful out of it. The topic this morning is envy. And 
Oh, there was some audible groans. Wow. <laughs> um, some of you can relate. The topic is envy. It's something, honestly, that, that I struggle with. Uh, and I know, I, I'm quite confident I'm not the only one in the room that struggles with envy. It's been around for a long time. In fact, um, historically, envy was listed by the church way back in the 6th century. Envy was listed as one of the seven deadly sins. Have you ever heard of the deadly sins? Um, it was listed as one of the deadly sins by, by a pope way back in the 6th century. Um, it was originally seen as one of those uh, unforgivable sins. That's why it was called, uh, they were called deadly sins, because they were seen initially as unforgivable, which that would leave us in a, in a, in a bit of a pickle for a lot of us. Um, but as church history evolved, they began to be seen as deadly sins simply because, not that they weren't forgivable, but because they were deadly to the spiritual life. They were toxic to our spiritual health. And I wanted us to take some time this morning to ponder envy and to think on envy and to to do some spiritual uh, spring cleaning in our lives when it comes to envy. Um, I'm quite confident, as as I say, that envy is common to all of us. It's a a deadly trap that that we all fall into. It's a poison we all drink or whatever, whatever analogy we want to use. Um, everybody's, everybody's story of envy in their life is a little bit different, but, but try some of these on for size. Um, you know, you think about your neighbor's BMW, um, or the other employee who got the promotion that you thought you should have gotten, or the family that has the bucks to go to take the whole family to Disneyland, and you can barely afford Playland, um, the person who gets more attention than you, um, the other couple's kids who um, seem to be angels all the time, and yours, mm, maybe not so much. Um, the friend that you look at and you think, man, why does she always have it all together? Like, my life's a disaster, and, and she, f- she seems to find gold everywhere. She, like, everything just works out for her, even for pastors. Um, why is that church bigger than our church. I work just as hard as they do, and nothing seems to go right. For me, when I was, uh, when I was in grade eight, way back in the day, um, the, uh, the, the things I was envious about weren't all that significant. They were very significant to me at the time, but not all that significant when I look back on it. Like For me, the big thing of envy when I was in grade eight was that I envied everybody else's athletic wristbands. I, I know that sounds odd, but, um, but they were in fashion back then. Um, does anybody who would be roughly my age, which I won't disclose, like ever remember when they were in fashion? N- nobody. Per- oh, a few people at the back. Maybe it was an Ontario thing, I'm not sure. Um, but everybody, all the guys in my grade wore not two, but one wristband. It was like the male equivalent of liking Michael Jackson. You wore one wristband, and you kind of flashed it. And, and I really wanted one, but I had, there was a problem. I, had, like, I didn't have a job, so I had no money, and my parents wouldn't buy me um, athletic wristbands. Um, and so I was very, very envious of anybody who had, particularly the ones that were, that were different colored, multicolored ones, because they were the really cool ones, if you were really cool. Um, you wore it on your right wrist, and, and I couldn't afford one, so I didn't have one. So I was very, very envious and jealous. Um, that seems really silly now. Um, as it seems, though, as we grow older, our envy um, isn't so innocent. 
and isn't so funny. Um, we start to look at the lives around us and the grass continues to appear greener wherever we're not. How many times a day do you find yourself thinking, thinking or saying things like, I wish I had another job. Man, I wish I could have the money to go away on a vacation like her. Why does he get all the breaks? I work just as hard as he does. Look at that house, her jewelry, his golf clubs, that car. Why do I seem to go, after, to go through crisis after crisis and, and she seems to sail through life? And we get stung by envy. And uh, it's deadly. It's deadly to our interior life. It, it might be something that, that we experience silently. We might never say it out loud. But it's deadly. It's really deadly to the interior uh, spiritual life. The, deadly to our souls. So if you, if you sit there and go, yeah, I can, I can relate to some of that. Well, congratulations, you're human. Um, and, and you're actually in, in reasonably good company because there's a lot of characters in Scripture, in the Bible, that struggled with a lot of envy. Um, right from the very beginning, right in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, Cain and his brother Abel um, bring offerings to God. God, it says in, in the Bible, looks, God looked on favor on Abel's offering and, and not with favor on Cain's offering. And so Cain was envious of his brother and jealous of Abel, and he killed him. Um, a little later on in Genesis, the story of Joseph and his brothers. Joseph was kind of the, the chosen favorite of his father Jacob, and the brothers got jealous. They were envious, and uh, they, they seized him one day and threw him in a pit, beat him up, and, and sold him into slavery. In the New Testament, Stephen, um, the, it says the religious leaders got jealous of him, of his preaching and the attention that he was drawing of the masses, and so they arrested him out of jealousy, and they stoned him to death. Next week, we're going to celebrate Palm Sunday, the, the celebration of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem uh, on a donkey. And, and if you read the passage, it's very clear that the religious leaders of the time see this Jesus coming in and everyone waving palm branches, and, and they get envious and jealous of him. And it says that they began to look for ways to kill him out of their envy. Notice that envy in all of those stories is poisonous to relationships. That's why it's a deadly sin. It's deadly to our spiritual health and it's deadly to our relationships. It steals our joy. So this morning, I want us to take a look at a, a passage of Scripture um, that, that in, in essence, I think I, I, I see two... I want to be really simple this morning. I want, I want to present to you just two antidotes to envy. Two things that we can incorporate in our lives that you can incorporate as you walk out of here today um, that are antidotes to that feeling of envy that rots us from the inside out. And it's in the, the book of Philippians. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Philippians chapter 4. If, if you would like a Bible, uh, I'm sure the ushers at the back would be happy to, hand, to loan you one. You can just uh, give a little wave, and there's Troy readying himself right now, getting ready to hand you a Bible if you want one. Um, if not, you can just sit back and, and relax, and, and I'll read it for you. But it's Philippians, which is near the end of the Bible, Philippians chapter 4. Um, Philippians um, is uh, the book that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And um, it's a letter, and the portion that we're going to read is actually right near the end. It's kind of getting near the end of the letter, and it's, in some ways, it's what I'm about to read for you in a few minutes is, is a little bit like Paul's sum up. It, it's the end of the letter where he's kind of doing a PS in some ways, 
um, like, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you this, and I want to make sure I reiterate that, and he's kind of, he's, he's bringing it home. Um, it's near the end of his letter, uh, but there's some things in here that are really powerful for us to grab a hold of as we talk about um, envy. So I want to read uh, just a few verses, but before I do that, let me take a moment to pray. Let's pray. Lord God, we sang a few minutes ago that we long to see glimpses of you. And so we thank you for scripture, we thank you for the Bible, and uh, we thank you for the, the glimpses it gives us of you uh, and, uh, and the, the, uh, the words that we can wrestle with. And so we pray, God, that by your spirit that you would, you would teach us, that you give us glimpses of you as we read from scripture this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read for you Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4, and going through to verse 20. I'm, I'm actually going to be focusing um, my, uh, the sermon on verses 10 and following, but I, I really like some of the words that are in verses 4 to 9, and I'm a, I'm a firm believer that even just reading Scripture is powerful, and, and it can be instructional to us. So I'm going to read verses 4 to 20. Let's hear God's word. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to to your account. I've received full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word to us this morning. Thanks be to God. So as I say, I, I, I really feel like I just want to simply lay out for you uh, a couple of antidotes. If you find yourself thinking, yeah, I, that, that uh, deadly sin of, of envy, I, 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 can, I can relate. Um, I want to offer you two things from this passage that, that uh, they're, not, they're not, you know, quick fixes, because I, I have a feeling this, this envy thing is something that we will constantly deal with, but, but these two things, I think if we put them into practice, and if we live there, um, they are an antidote. Um, they, they're, they're, in many ways, the 
the water on the fire of envy. The first one is this. The first antidote to envy is contentedness. Contentedness, to be in a state of contentment. Um, Paul says in that passage that I just read, he says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. A few years ago, um, our family was given a wonderful gift um, by friends of ours. They gave us the gift of a trip, all-expenses-paid trip to Hawaii. I know, nice friends, huh? Uh, I can introduce you sometime. Uh, don't worry, it's nobody here. Um, but, uh, but they gave us a gift, uh, a gift to Hawaii. And our kids were, this was a, a few years ago, so our kids were uh, quite a bit younger back then. And our oldest son, Joel, was, um, was quite young. And, uh, and he thought this was great that he got to go to the beach and go on a plane and all that kind of thing. Um, but I remember finding myself that on the first or second day that we were there, we, we went to the beach. And, and uh, I mean, if you've ever been to Hawaii, you know, it, it's, it's paradise. Uh, and it was, a, it was a beautiful day, not a cloud in the sky. And we went down and we, you know, had a blanket and we... Um, scouted our spot out on the beach, and uh, the, you know, the kids were playing. And it was it was great, and I and I caught myself. I found myself um, in a in a state of discontent, constantly sitting there, going, "Are you sure this is the best spot? Like, um, like everybody else got here earlier, and they the really smart ones seem to have scored a palm tree." Like, that seems to be the way to go, so you can have your shade when you want it, and you can, like, are we going to burn? Like, and, and I'm totally raining on everybody's parade, um, and, and there's Joel, happy as a lark, um, and everybody else happy, feeling peaceful and rested and relaxed, because they're in Hawaii, <laughs> and I'm not satisfied. Too much shade, not enough shade, didn't get a palm tree, so we have packed a lunch, Can you relate? Think of how much time of your average day that you spent being discontented. Think of how much joy we miss because we're sitting in paradise, either literally or figuratively speaking, and we're mumbling about what we think we're missing out on. Think of how awesome it would be to live 24 hours a day, seven days a week in a state of being at ease, content in the core of your being, peaceful, rested, and relaxed. Think of what it would be like not to constantly think and perceive that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence in the neighbor's yard. Not just when all is well. Not just when you're on the beach in Hawaii. But like with Paul, when things aren't going the way you thought they would go. In his words, when you're well, when you're well fed and when you're hungry. I mean, Paul spent time in jail. Paul was shipwrecked at times. I mean, Things not going according to plan were Paul's middle name. And he says, in all of those circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content. That sounds, uh, this is the dissonance within me. Because when I hear that, when I read that, Paul says, no matter what the circumstance, I've learned the secret of being content. That sounds impossible to me. And, 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 and if, even if I'm a little optimistic, if it's not impossible, it sounds really highly improbable. Content in all circumstances. Really, Paul? All circumstances. Even when you're in jail. Yep. Even when you're shipwrecked. Uh-huh. And then he, he follows that up by saying, I've, I, you know, he says, I've learned that 
whatever circumstance, I've learned to be content. And then the very next verse, I can do everything through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. It's the very next verse. It's interesting that that verse follows right there. And it's, it, it, this verse is likely one that you maybe if you grew up in the church, you grew up memorizing. It's a, it's a common one. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, I learned it as, as a kid as well. It's possibly one of the most misinterpreted verses in all of Scripture. Um, at one point in our marriage, Karen and I lived in, in Atlanta, and uh, we, um, there was a local radio station there that was running a contest. Uh, and it was when it was, uh, it was the contest to win a new car. Uh, when those new, the, the, sort of the nouveau VW bugs were coming out, you know, the, uh, why do I keep doing this to describe it? That's the only, remember, they were like this, remember? Um, anyway, um, the radio station had a contest to, uh, to give away one of these cars, and they, they bought a car, and they plunked it right in the middle of the local huge mall in, in the Atlanta area. And it became quite a spectacle. It was on the radio and everybody, and there was newspaper articles about it. And they, they randomly selected four entrants, four people who put their names up for the contest. And uh, they drew their names, and those four people were placed in the car. And the contest would go on as long as necessary. They had to stay in the car for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, until one, there was only one left standing, or sitting, as the case may be. That's how you would win the car. I think there were some rules you were allowed out for 10 minutes every two hours for potty breaks, um, and, and uh, you rotated, so like if you sat in the driver's seat, they moved around so that you weren't in the same seat all the time. But like, think on this for a second. With three strangers in an enclosed vehicle for days and no showering. Like, do, do, do you see where I'm going with this? And, and it was quite a spectacle. Like, it was in the middle of the mall. Everyone comes to see, and there was people cheering them on. And we went one day, and there was, like, you see, it's like being at a zoo. You stand there behind the lines and staring at four people in a, in a car. You know, they're, one guy's sitting there staring, they're all eating, you know, and, and they're doodling or they're what, whatever they're doing. Like, for hours. It was just, like, it was kind of strange. But then there, plastered on one of the walls, there was all these signs of support you know, with big poster board, people like, you know, go, Steve, go, you know, and, you know, Jane, you can do it, and all this kind of stuff, but there was one poster board that made Karen and I both laugh, it was, you know, you can do it, Steve, and then, and then in quotation marks, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. <laughs> I'm like, as a pastor, that drives, that drives me nuts. I'm like, really? Really? Is that what the Apostle Paul meant in Philippians 4.30? Is that what he had in his head? Must pen this, because at some point in history, there's going to be four dudes and you know, people in a car, and Steve's going to need to know that he can do all things through Christ. He can, he can win the VW. Why? Because he can do it. Why? Because Christ strengthens. Like, really? Like, I, I just get really skeptical about that kind of thing. Um, it's just totally out of context. Look at the context of what, it is, it is a scriptural truth. Paul says, he says, as a follower of Jesus, you can do all things through him who gives you strength. Nothing is impossible. He is saying that. That is a scriptural truth. But he's not talking to Steve and the bug. Who's he talking to? What's he talking about? He has just said, I've learned the secret of what it means to be content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whatever the circumstance, 
I've learned the secret of being content. Does that sound impossible to you? Does that sound improbable? Yeah. But in Christ, I can do it through the one who gives me strength. That's the context. What's the secret then? What is this secret he's talking about? It's like, you've learned the secret. Okay, would you mind sharing with us? Uh, and, and it's not like he lays it out in, in black and white, but as you read all of Paul's writings in Scripture, you, you kind of begin to pick up, like when he talks about being in jail and being in chains for the gospel and being shipwrecked, and, and you, put, you sort of look at his writings all together, you begin to get a sense of what, what this secret is, and, and it's something that he lives out. Um, and it, it, it's, it's actually all of Scripture begins to, to put this puzzle together for us. And this is, this is where I'm still figuring it out. So, so forgive me. This is part of the dissonance this morning. I, you know, it, it's not a nice, quick recipe and, and you know, everything's fine. It's, I'm, I'm living this out. But, but, but verses in Scripture like this are really instructive to me. When it says in Hebrews 13, 5, it says this, Keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. Because, the verse goes on, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That's instructive to me. When it, when it comes to the, what's the secret of being content? It says, be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I, I think one of the, the, the antidotes um, to, to getting rid of envy in our lives is to live, um, to live contented. And, and I think, as I'm learning, uh, the, the, the secret to living in a contented state is this. I've learned that God's enough. Or maybe better put, I am learning that God is enough. That God is sufficient. That he will never leave me and he will never forsake me. I've learned, um, I'm learning that that. My envy decreases when, I, when I'm constantly reminding myself, no, no, God's enough. He'll always be with me. He will always provide for me. I am his and he is mine. He's enough. I attended seminary for a grand total of five years. Now, before you think that's really impressive, I graduated with a three-year degree. So, um, you do the math. <laughs> However, um, one of the most powerful things that I learned and most powerful experiences in seminary was one class in particular where the, you know, the class started and, and I actually had rushed to get there because uh, I was running late, but I arrived on time thinking, okay, made it, sit down, and the professor says, you know what, we're going to start a little bit differently this morning. Uh, we're going to have just a time of quiet and a time of prayer. And, and for a few minutes, he just reminded us of a very simple truth. He said, do you know that you belong to God? Do you know that you are God's and you are precious to him and he loves you deeply? Do you know that? And it's a, and it's a room of people training for ministry. They're like, well, yeah, duh. Yeah, we know that. But he says, no, do you really know? And he says, I want to take the first 15 minutes of the class. And he says, I want you to focus on four words. He says, I want you to focus on these four words. I belong to God. And he said, I want you, in the stillness and the quiet of the next 15 minutes, I, he says, I want you just to repeat those four words to yourself over and over and over again. And I'm sitting there going, really? I raced through traffic for this? Like, I could have been 15 minutes late and just, you know, got right into the meat and potatoes of what he's going to talk about. 
but it was a powerful experience. And, and it's actually has spawned a, a, a habit of mine that, that I do that quite often. For 15 minutes, he had us to sit there and, 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 and contemplate on, I belong to God. 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 Like, and, and just enunciating different words in that sentence, but powerful. I belong to God. And I think as we allow that reality to soak deeper and deeper into our lives, that we belong to God, that we are loved by God, that God will always be with us, that God will always provide for us, that God will never leave us, never forsake us. Contentedness grows within us as we allow that to soak deeply, those truths. Contentedness grows within us. We're less likely to look on the other side of the fence and look for greener grass because God's enough. And he's, he's not going to let me down. And he's never going to leave me, never forsake me. And I don't have to be jealous of what other people have because God's going to give me exactly what I need. When I need it. Even if I don't know I need it. There's a great verse in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 that says this, Godliness is great gain. Actually, that's not what it says. It says this, godliness with contentment is great gain. Isn't that powerful? Godliness, when it's combined with this, that sense of, I am content in all circumstances because I'm learning that God is enough. That's great gain. That's what I want. There's still dissonance in me. I'm still trying to figure it out. But, but learning to live in a, with that feeling of contentment, that's, that douses envy pretty quickly. And the way to live in that contentment is just to continually be reminded, God's enough. God is enough. Contentment, that's one antidote. Here, here's another one from the passage. Generosity. Generosity is, is a second antidote to, um, to envy. The passage continues on right from that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul continues on and says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your, your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I've received full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent to me, they're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Here's another antidote. Here's another surefire way, if you struggle with being envious, here's another surefire way to see it doused in your life. And it's this. Be generous. Live a life of generosity. Not just with your money, but yes, with your money, but also generous with your time. Perhaps you need to be generous with your ears, listening to someone who needs to be heard. Perhaps you can be generous with your hands, helping out someone who needs help. 
But if you want to see envy decrease, then increase your generosity. It's weird. Um, something seems to happen in our lives. The more generous we are, the more we're focused on meeting other people's needs, something happens and, and, and we're not as envious of what other people have because we've switched in our heads from thinking, I don't have enough, I want more, how come she gets, how come he gets and I don't, to what do I have that I can give? Do you see the difference? Again, not saying I've arrived, but I'm on the journey. It's interesting that Paul finishes the, the, the or near the end of the passage, says, um, and God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Uh, that also is a verse that gets misinterpreted quite a bit. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That is a true statement. But look at the context. What is he just, who is he talking to? He's talking to a group of people who gave sacrificially to him. Paul's out doing his missionary journey thing. He's traveling um, all through the region, um, ministering to, to, to uh, little pockets of believers and, and teaching and instructing. He's, he's giving his life. He's basically um, an itinerant pastor, preacher, and, uh, and he's got people like this church in Philippi who are giving to him. And, you know, they didn't have FedEx back then, but they didn't have wire transfers, so they got some guy named Epaphroditus to actually take them, their, their offering, their money, and take it to Paul and say, hey, this is from us. We just want to bless you. We want your needs to be met so that you can go and, and teach people about Jesus. And he's saying to them, you guys were there when I needed you. You were over-the-top generous. Not just, well, here's 50 bucks, good luck, but over-the-top generous. That's who he's talking to. And he says to them, to those people who have who have considered his needs over their own, he has said to them, my God will meet your needs. He's got all the riches in the world. He'll meet your needs. That's who he's talking to. It's a powerful passage. Paul is speaking to contented people who have been over-the-top generous and living this way, he says, don't worry about your own needs. God will look after you. And some, when we live that way, something happens when it comes to envy. Because again, we're not focused on how come they have and I don't. It's what can I do for them? Those are the, the, the two antidotes as I see them. Learning to live in a with contentment and, and letting, letting that contentment flow out of God's enough he loves you deeply he will provide you with whatever you need you are special to him you belong to him he will look after you just relax and that contentment envy just begins to take a back seat That's one, and the other one is being a generous person living with that generous mindset and envy is given a backseat again. That's what I'm, I am. That's, that's where I'm learning. Um, it, I don't even have a conclusion in here because it, it's not something that I can wrap up in a nice bow and say, okay, so there we go. Everything's grand because I'm still, I'm still in it. And I have a feeling there's a, there's a bunch of us going, okay, those are two good things to grab a hold of, but we've got to go and live them out. 
And so I'm going to ask um, Lincoln, I'm not sure if Joel, oh, I was going to say, I'm not sure if Joel's here, but apparently you are. Um, Lincoln and Joel can come back up and just get ready. Um, but before they lead us in a closing song, um, I've asked Lincoln just to, to play quietly uh, because I think it would be silly for us to race out of here um, without doing what, what, what I talked about. Let's do some spring cleaning just for a few minutes, two or three minutes. And I'm just asking him to play quietly. And this is a, this is a time between you and God just to, um, to contemplate some of the things that we've, we have talked about, um, to really just wrestle through um, some of the things that, that God has said to us this morning. You might want to wrestle with questions like this. Who am I envious of? Why am I envious of them? Where is jealousy crept in and is stealing my joy? Where is, where is envy ruining relationships and stealing joy in my life? You might want to take the time, these just a couple of minutes, to maybe do what I was suggested. Maybe just a couple of minutes of, I belong to God. And just repeating that to yourself. It's a, it's a scriptural truth. I belong to God. Or I am God's, whatever you prefer. Just letting that soak in deeply um, to you this morning. Just reflecting on the fact that God is enough. Or it could be this, take a couple minutes to think, where's God calling me to be generous? With whom is God calling me to be generous? What do I have to, to give to others? Do some spring cleaning, just for two or three minutes. Lincoln's going to play. You may even notice a dissonant chord or two in what he plays, just as a, as a visual symbol or as an as a auditory symbol of God can take something that's dissonant within us where we say, yeah, I, I want to be there, but I'm not. And God can bring something beautiful when we live authentically and authentically come to him and say, there's dissonance within me on this one, God, but would you bring beauty? Would you bring beauty?
the morning, Lord, we do look to you for the strength we need just to make it through. Have mercy. In the evening, Lord, we look back and say it was in your strength that we made our way. Have mercy. In the morning, Lord, we do look to you for the strength we need just to make it through. Have mercy. In the evening, Lord, we look back and say it was in your strength that we made our way. Have mercy. Let's pray. God, we thank you for what you uh, are speaking into our lives. Thanks that we don't have to have it all figured out as we walk out of here, but my prayer for each of us, including myself, is that we would walk out of here authentically and with a desire to surrender to you these areas of our lives that you have spoken into our lives about this morning. We pray, God, that you take the dissonance that is within us when it comes to this topic of envy and that you would continue shaping and crafting something beautiful. We're grateful, God, for your patience with us, for your, your long-suffering nature with us, and uh, for the way that you um, 
continually encourage and empower us to live lives that honor you. And we're grateful for the reality that you are the one who does indeed provide for us and the one through whom we can do all things. We rest in these promises and in these truths as we continue to journey on. Pray that you continue to shape and form us and use us as you wish, even this week, God. We pray in Jesus' name.